The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and uh, hello, and thank you for watching. This week in How Did Mike Count Us Down? So, Fucking hell. Podcast Mike is on the line again. Always nice to have the... Charlie went to quite great expense. You can see it on his Instagram page, and a lot of like physical labour to put together a beautiful Tofop podcasting studio that the two of us, <laughs> seeing that we only live <laughs> 20 minutes from each other, could broadcast in all the time. And we're still, because of life, oh life, oh life, broadcasting down yeah. the line on Skype, but the added joy that it brings to the podcast is the involvement of Podcast Mike. Now, this is episode 341, 341. Uh, so yep. when he did his traditional countdown, it just sounded quite comical because he said Tofop 341 in 321 <laughs> and I started giggling and that put him off and then he threw in a go at the end. I thought we decided go. there was no, isn't it 321 and then we start or is it just random every we week something different? We discussed it. We gave no directive. We discussed it. But we, I mean, is that what you want to do now? Do you want to want to send a company directive to Mike to say, hey, as the partner, as the head partners in TOEFOP, we are directing you to just count three, two, one, and then go silent. Is that what we're saying? Is that the agreed format? No, no. I like this. I like this mystery format that we have. It feels very <laughs> on brand for us. The fact that we have taken a thing that is meant to make the podcast easier and made it essentially more difficult than it was when you just started. We didn't actually need a countdown in the old days. The podcast started when you started speaking and I was fine with that. But now we have a countdown that makes it, it means that I spend the first five minutes of every episode talking about the fucking countdown. Yeah. And you know what was a, another kind of um, uh, unpredictability of this episode is for the first time, rather than us commenting on Mike's T-shirt, Mike decided to comment on my T-shirt. And I shut that shit down, not because I didn't think it was appropriate, but because we were wasting what was clearly good podcasting material on a <laughs> 10, conversation we were having on minutes <laughs> so. worth of padding. <laughs> So, uh, as usual, we were doing our um, uh, homoerotic male bonding session of assessing what everybody is wearing and judging it. <laughs> That's how men tell each other that they love each other. And so, we were going through that tradition. But instead of us just, you know, ganging up to bully a young man like Podcast Mike in the way that we <laughs> usually do. No, Podcast Mike, like, like every dad tells their kid, you've got to stand up to those bullies. You've got to get on the yep. attack. And he came- Will. Out of the block. The best, the best, the best defense is a good offense. offense. He's been to the Cobra Kai Podcast Academy. And strike first, strike hard, no mercy. He could not have been more offensive. Like the layer of sophistication when he fought back, he fought back hard because he assessed it you. Hurt. He described. He looked at what you were wearing. Firstly, describe what you were wearing. So I am wearing uh, one of James Fosdyke's uh, 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 Tofop T-shirts. It's the um, the cassette one, which the hand reaching out of the flames holding the the Tofop 
cassette, which uh, listeners to this show will know that is the first bit of Tofop merch that Podcast Mike bought for himself. We did a very, very long build up to that reveal last year that was, you know, some people might think was underwhelming by the time we actually got to it. (laughs) I feel like they put us on a list with Lost and a whole bunch of other shows that didn't finish as well as people expected. Uh, Unfair to both us and Lost, I would say. But yeah. It was how he described the T-shirt that you were wearing that I thought was the the power move that he laid on the table. Yeah, it was. The, so he described it as the Mike Classic, right? <laughs> yes, the Mike Classic, which is absurd because I I had this T-shirt way before he had the T-shirt. <laughs> Secondly, even if you took that bit in isolation, it wasn't a classic. I don't even know if the if the reveal of podcast Mike's T-shirt would even rank in our top twenty moments of the show. <laughs> Well, you'd hope it wouldn't, to be honest. That would be a sad indictment on the fact that we've done this show for 11 years if us talking about revealing what T-shirt our unseen producer was wearing was one of the top 20 things that had ever happened on the show. Some people might think we should have reassessed the way we spent the last decade. I mean, the reason I'm wearing this T-shirt, you know, in the ongoing saga of my home maintenance... The Mike Classic. The the Tofop, the Mike Classic, uh, is the ongoing saga of my home maintenance... I um, finally will, after cleaning all the mould off my dirty deck, today is the day I got to oil it up. Um, I wanted to get it nice and oiled so that everyone can come around and get on my deck. Everyone in the neighbourhood, get on my deck. Um, but you hadn't oiled the deck up until this point, had you? No, You'd just, just cleaned been it, scrubbing it. it. You'd just been edging the deck <laughs> just up until this point. But it was, to- it was time to lube up that deck and get it going. To get the deck going. Um, but because of all the scrubbing and, and the mould removing, I've been doing, I actually hadn't washed my work clothes and they weren't ready to, to be put on. They were, they were in gross condition. So I was like, shit, like what what clothing am I willing to sacrifice? Because potentially I could get some of this oil on my clothes and what would I be happy getting ruined? Turns out the Mike Classic. <laughs> I was ready to sacrifice the Mike Classic. So uh, it passed Gemma's inspection. Finally, yep. After I think, how many, I reckon I did six scrubs. I did six uh, scrubs and high-powered hose removals before finally she gave me the all clear. It was a real relief. How many inspect- How many inspections did she do? Was that like six inspections Four. as well? Did like Was there five times where she came out and like, you know, Caesar style gave you the thumbs down <laughs> and you just had to go back to the deck? Because no. that's what I'm imagining. No, there was, I reckon I did two on my own. I, I, I recognised after no. the first one it's going to need another one, but I was happy after two. So I reckon she did four inspections. Actually, you know what? It was probably only three inspections because I got the silent treatment after the fourth scrub, which was enough to tell me I need to go out and do another scrub. But um, uh, I made a mistake with the... So I finally got the the deck cleaned, but they say in all the videos I've watched about, you know, cleaning your deck, um, and they talk about that high-pressure hose, they say make sure you've got it on the spray setting and not the, like, the stream setting because the stream setting can damage your wood. So guess what fucking dude got up and didn't check the settings before he turned the hose on. So I finally got the fucking thing clean and then I put this, like, it's like a snake, like just just damaged wood about, I don't know, two or three metres of damaged wood. Because it was it was like that scene when they use the, the proton packs in Ghostbusters for the first time, they can't control it. I was like, whoa! So then the added wrinkle on that is I then had to go fucking sand my deck yesterday. So yesterday I was on hands and knees just sanding my deck down. But finally it's oiled up. It's looking good. Even my neighbor, my new neighbor who I just met for the first time today was mm. walking past. She um, uh, lives behind the house. and Came in, had a look. No, she's just, I'd like to have, 
I'm your neighbour. <laughs> Would you mind if I came and had a look at your deck? She uh, she lives in a battle axe block, so her driveway goes up mm. past my place, so she can see it when she drives up. And I saw her in the garden today, and so I introduced myself, and she was like, I was just admiring your deck. And I was like, thank you. Because <laughs> my wife wanted my wife wanted even to buy my deck. She tells me it's dirty. Yeah. And of course, your neighbour is Inspector Deck from the Wu-Tang Clan, so that's... <laughs> It was appropriate. <laughs> no, I've got to apologise to people. I, uh, I've had this fucking cold for three weeks now. Um, uh, uh, I feel a bit like I'm a character in a zombie film. You know, like when there's always someone who's hiding the fact that they've been bitten. Even though I've been COVID tested and thankfully it came back negative. Like I, 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 I've been staying home as much as I can this week because I don't want to get anyone sick, but I just have to go out now. And anytime people hear me cough, like in public, like the looks come and it's just like, oh, Jesus, you know, it's, 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 it's the cough of shame now because it does sound like a proper chest infection, one of the five symptoms of COVID coughs. Oh, dude, I saw you on the weekend. I saw you on Sunday and I'm so sorry, but if I could have like been in a bubble, if I could have erected a barrier between the two of us, like the entire time I would just looked at you like you were going to fuck up my weekend at work. Yeah. <laughs> that was all it was. I was like, I'm going to Wagga Wagga this weekend. It's actually a really kind of confronting gig for me you know going back to Wagga Wagga after what happened in 2017 to do the show there there's going to be people from that story in the room there's going to be some press attention they've warned me there'll be like camera crews at the airport like the idea that in the week that I'm meant to be doing these shows a it's the only way I'm going to pay my mortgage for the next like month and a bit so it's like a desperate money yeah. gig for me but also the fact that in the week imagine if I just pulled out yeah like, you know, I was just like, oh, I've got a cough. I can't come and do the show. Like, the amount of unwanted, like, scrutiny. attention and unwarranted speculation and scrutiny that would be around that was a, a nightmare to me. And I don't know if you could sense me projecting that on you at all times, but I was looking at you like oh. you were like a Wuhan fucking bat. Oh, don't worry. I was, I was aware of it, but I was also <laughs> like, I didn't want to go near anyone. Like, you know, we had a bunch of friends come around this weekend, some who I haven't seen in a long time. And I was like using force field powers to say, just don't come near me because this thing, well, clearly I think what's happened is it's a combination of Iona going to daycare and as everyone knows, children are just like Petri dishes. She has no immune system. So she catches everything and brings it home because she's been sick herself for about two months, nothing serious, but just runny nose, cough, and then going to Melbourne and the cold and just not being used to that anymore. But it's kind of it's. I'm okay with being being sick when you're either like flat out and like, well, I just can't do anything because I'm sick, and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna recover. But it's that annoying thing where it's like I'm at sixty to seventy percent, and it's just enough to slow you down where you can't concentrate. I'm getting headaches, like physical activity hurts, like even going for a walk, my chest hurts. It's like this is is this. This child that I love, is this what it's going to be for the, like, the next 10 years until she develops a proper immune system? She's just going to keep coming home and infecting me? Mate, you live on the Northern Rivers of New South oh, Wales. Yeah. She's never going to develop a proper immune system. <laughs> She's going to bring home like polio and rickets and scurvy Did and you see? things that you can't even like vaccinate against. Did you see uh, uh, there was a 5G protest um, in the Northern Rivers last weekend? Oh, it was gross. some of the coverage of it was amazing. There was um, uh, a video that was put on Brown Cardigan of people uh, protesting and it was just like, what an amazing collection of people. Like, I know we all sort of are wary of conspiracy theorists and QAnon is obviously quite a serious problem. Not for our Prime Minister, apparently, but, you know, for most people. 
<laughs> I mean, as somebody who occasionally works at the ABC, I'm sure I can't yeah, comment on that. Yeah, you definitely can't comment on that. <laughs> but just to sort of see, like, there was one moment in this video, this guy is shooting, you know, it's probably about 12 people forming, you know, this this protective ring around the gates to try and stop workers from entering. Um, and at one stage, one of the women leaves the group to make a call on her phone. <laughs> it's just like, this is amazing. Like, you know, pardon the pun, but the disconnect that this woman has to what she's protesting and how she's letting members know, I was really happy to see. And what sort of phone was it? Oh, I mean, I assume like, it was like... Was it like an iPhone yeah. or a Samsung well, or something? It wasn't, it wasn't like a Nokia no. or like a burner style phone. No, it wasn't phone. like an this analog was, phone. She didn't, she didn't go over to a, a wall and get like a phone off a hook and there was a big curly sort of like... No, this was a modern phone. Yeah. Which works on minimum the 3G system, which is almost identical in technology to the fucking 5G system. Like it's like if you're using 3G, you're being a hypocrite if you are arguing against 5G. Well, also like, as you said, it's the Northern Rivers and it's like these are the same people, the same anti-vaxxers who are quite happy to take acid, <laughs> quite happy to like put something in their body that was made in a bathtub by some biker somewhere going to be like, no, no. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, my body, my choice, mate. Like, isn't that, what a great co-opting of a very important uh, uh, phrase. Well, because one is your body, your choice, and the other one is part of a covenant we enter into as part of a society. Like, this is the aspect of that, that my body, my choice, like, completely disregards. Because you are, it's offensive. You're taking something that is a slogan for something that, like, actually is, somebody's choice and making it about something that like that's the equivalent analogy would be if that person like you know yeah had the baby everybody else suddenly gets babies who <laughs> runs into yeah. them oh, sorry i rubbed i rubbed up against this woman at the supermarket now i'm pregnant she just she had you know, i mean it's ridiculous like this is when you're in your own home i absolutely think that there should be limits to what the laws of the land can make you do and not do you know i think that as human beings we do have some you know choice over what it is that we're going to believe and what is but the idea that you get to participate in the things that society has mm. without following the rules of what the society puts in place for participation like if the government puts in a vaccine passport then you'd still have a choice don't travel or get a vaccine and fucking travel. I mean, that's the thing that just drives me mental about this is like you are not being forced to get a vaccine, but what you're being asked to consider right. is if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to be precluded from certain activities. You know what I mean? It's the yeah. same thing with the people who argue about there's no free speech. No, there is free speech. Yeah. But what we're saying is if you're going to say anything that comes to your mind, you have to deal with the consequences. There are going to be certain people who won't employ you. There's going to be certain people who are going to, you know, bite back. Like it's this... It's this crazy upside down world that these people so live in. Seems like a good time to mention start with the new episodes, work your way back, <laughs> stop listening when you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> now, Will, uh, a topic we talked about last week has blown up our mailbag, oh, pun yeah. intended. Uh, a lot of people right. with opinions about how you could get the cassette to me so we could continue doing the uh, podcast if you're being hunted by a killer drone. Um, I'm going to start with a few shorter ones because we've got one listener who goes into quite a lot of detail. Um, I believe okay. he's some kind of like warfare historian or something like that. I haven't read the whole thing. Here's what I will also say. I will say just as a preface to this, yeah. as I've been driving around my neighborhood <laughs> of late, I must admit I have started eyeing off 
like escape routes, possible scenarios. Like I've got a bit more of situational awareness on what my options might be. And I've been doing the same thing because you mentioned that, oh, look, I know where the caves are and waterfalls and stuff. And where I live is a bit more suburban to where you're, you're actually in the bush in the country. But I'm like, holy shit, like can I hide in a cafe? <laughs> Does that count as a cave? I mean, there's food there, there's running water. Like where am I going to go? If the drone came from me, I haven't actually done enough – I go to the beach a lot here, but I haven't gone to many caves or waterfalls or anything like that. No, I actually happen to live near some caves and some waterfalls, so it's a little bit more handy for me. But the other day, um, often there are helicopters that fly all over here, and I think they're looking for people who are growing weed. Right. And one came down in my like the paddock below my house. Like there's a whole bunch of trees, like you know, down the bottom of a paddock, like just an area that's never really used for anything. There's some horses in the paddock and then just a bunch of trees. And this helicopter keeps coming lower and lower and lower till it's like looking through the trees at the bottom oh, of my wow. property. Like, and I am like, is someone growing <laughs> wheat on my property? Like, because they were looking as if they'd found something. And I... I mean, as far as I'm aware, I never go down there, but as far as I'm aware, there's nothing down there. Last time I was down there, there was absolutely nothing down there. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. literally just, but can you, you know, whatever's falling out of the can trees. You, if but, you, even if you're the police, can you just fly into private? I mean, who owns the airspace above private property? Because you'd need a warrant to search a property. You can't just... I was surprised that they came so low. They were genuinely so close to like, you know, because, mm. particularly because... I, I, there isn't anything there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's not like, yes, if they had suspicion that I was growing some big crop down there and whatever, then perhaps, yes, they've gone through the proper channels too. But I know there's nothing there. Yeah. They weren't they weren't looking at anything that is like a problem. So the fact that they can just come onto like an innocent person's property and fly that low without any warning or explanation is weird, I but think. But it was, was it, a, did it have markings? Was it definitely like a- No, okay, no so markings. I just, well, I don't know. I mean, it, just, I guess it, it might've been drug dealers looking for good places <laughs> to grow weed. The opposite. <laughs> well, it could have also just I been- might be able to get a, I might get a knock on the door from some local businessman who's like, I've got a proposition for you. It could also just be like, you know, someone in the area. There's a lot of rich people who live in the hills up there. There may be just someone who's like a like a Harrison Ford type hobbyist ho- copter helicopter pilot. Imagine imagine if it was like Matt Damon or something. <laughs> just like popping in, have a look. Well apparently um Zach Efron has bought some land just south of the Gold Coast, but not just land, but he's bought like acres and acres. Heck what's bigger, acres or hectares? I don't know. Uh, acres are bigger. Okay, so he's bought acres and acres of land that have like rainforest. Well, he's got his own. <laughs> technically, neither of them are bigger. So when we're talking about an area of land, they're two different ways to measure an area of land. So an acre is bigger, but the area of land could be acres or acres or hectares or hectares. It doesn't actually make a difference in the volume of the land. He's bought a lot of land, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but from what I've read, like. Because he's all into his survivalist stuff now and he does his, like, YouTube show. So he's bought this land that yeah, has, right. like, cliff tops, waterfall, caves, rainforest, all, the, you know, just like a playground for someone who loves the outdoors. And then I was Sounds like, like a man who thinks he's going to be taken out by a killer drone. Well, that's exactly what I thought. It's like, I mean, they haven't listed where it is publicly, but, I mean, knowing that exists, if, Zac, if it's good enough for Zac Efron to live on and hide out, I mean, he's basically on the run from the American paparazzi, it feels like. That is interesting. Okay. All right. I'm okay. So read on. Oh, okay. So we want to do the drone stuff. I thought you were Googling. Are you Googling Zach Efron? 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to have a look at uh, something else that you just reminded me of. Okay. All right. So this first uh, suggestion is from Tessa. And she's like, long-time listener, love the show, but I was infuriated and yelling at the phone this morning as you troubleshoot the cassette situation. If this ever arises, Will is habitually and Will is habitually attending roadside produce stands and has cash on him, could he not simply leave the cassettes there with a note and some extra cash for postage? Honest Aussie farmers to the rescue. Hand delivery at an extra expense if you want to cut out the postal system. Resolved. Okay, so the idea being there that you leave a note for whatever farmers there saying, hey, I can't tell you much. Can you please deliver this cassette to my friend? Hear what you're saying, but these are my major resources for procuring food. And so what's going to end up being happening is, right, like if they need to really track me down, they find out where this cassette tape was left. And then from then on, there's monitoring of that fruit stall. And now I no longer can go to that fruit stall for my fruit. So you can't. You can't shit where you eat when it comes to covering your tracks in regard to this, I think. Yeah, I guess it would depend about how many fruit stalls. Because I'm just trying to think off the top of my head when I go for drives, how far, far, far apart their space. Like, would it be incon- – if you burn one, are you then sort of like shitting yourself in the foot because there's not one for miles? And I think that if I was to leave from my place, the closest one is already too far and then the next one after that is way, way, way too far. So I'd be – I'd just be ruining a food store pickup. Right. And you're establishing a pattern. Exactly. So eventually they're going to be able to track you from, they go, well, he's hit this one, this one, this one. The amount of energy you were expending to cover your tracks, yeah. it would just be more practical to be dropping off the cassette somebody, somewhere else. And you don't want anything that is going to verify that you still are alive because, I mean, the other thing we didn't discuss is you could also try and fake your death. You know, you could, you know, you could try and blow up your car or drive it off a cliff, put someone else's body in there, dig a body up out of the graveyard and drive it off a cliff, give by yourself some time. But if you write and a note. This is, the, this is different to last week where I hadn't thought about where I'd hide from an AI drone. But the idea of faking my own death and disappearing is an absolute fantasy of mine. And I think about it all the fucking time. So this would be like, I'd be like, finally open a bunch of drawers and suitcases around the office. <laughs> Uh, okay, this next one is from Jeff. Uh, he says, hey, uh, Tofop, happy Rugba League. This is a tough one. I'm not sure that the best way to do this, but you should speak to Tommy Dasilo as he's an expert in this field because Tommy has been isolating for years. All right, good, nice. good stuff. P.S. Quality. Uh, inside jokes from two separate podcasts, too many. P.P.S. Loving all the podcasts. Great work. So I thought I'd give us a little bit of a pump up before we get on to the next one. By the way, do you think I've been blacklisted from uh, like Dum Dum Club? Because there was no. that one invite extended and then I couldn't do it because I didn't check my Facebook messages. Yeah. And then there's been numerous opportunities for them to get me back on and they haven't done it. I reckon, I reckon I've been blacklisted. Okay. Do you want to know the actual truth? What is it? Or do you just want to go on living in your delusion? Oh, shit. Is this a red pill, blue pill moment? No, it was uh, I because I, I chatted to Carl about it yeah. and uh, and he was like, oh, it would be good probably to get him on the first time with you just to kind of help introduce him to the Dum Dum audience, particularly because I love the Dum Dum audience, but they, you know, the like brutal. part of the appeal is they don't play well with others and so <laughs> you just don't want to throw someone to the wolves. And look, I, I thought, you know, so he just said when the two of us could do it, and we actually tried to do it one time and then – they, start, they went back to doing them all live and we weren't in the same place. Right. And so it's it's literally just been that, I think. But now that uh, Melbourne is in lockdown again, horrible news for all our friends mm. in Melbourne, but uh, 
Tommy Dasselow will be fine. He's been self-isolating for years. But he and Carl are probably doing the podcast back online. So maybe there's an opportunity that we could uh, go on. Do you, uh, With this latest Melbourne lockdown, because I have so many, obviously a lot of friends and you know half my family are in Melbourne. Communicating with them, like it's hard to know what to say. Like I've, like, I've talked about I've got a family WhatsApp chat and it's been working overtime lately, especially for the, the Melbourne family. And this one appears to really like sting worse than the rest of them. My brother's been oh, laid off. Yeah. Uh, you know, his wife's lost her job as well. No income support, obviously. They've got to apply for some kind of grant, which they don't really qualify for. What can we do to help? Like, what is there? Can we do anything to help? Like, you feel so powerless and it's, it's so awful, but I feel so it's like it's not survivor's guilt, but the fact that we're up here and we're not dealing with all that shit and they've had to go through that through for you know for the fourth time it's what do you feel my feeling is and i've thought about this a lot and i feel what they need right now is nothing other than us to shut the fuck up okay i think they don't need our sympathy they don't need our jokes about what's going on there i don't think either of those things are particularly helpful like they're going through something that the rest of the country hasn't gone through and i think that whatever our takes on it are, are probably completely unnecessary. That we, we support them in that we hopefully, you know, there's people listening to this that I know our numbers went up a lot during the first lockdown. People look for things to take their mind off. Hopefully us coming up with a way I'd escape an AI <laughs> like drone is the best way that we can help them out at the moment because everything else, I mean, the other thing is, I guess, keep the government accountable. And I I, no, I guess the thing that we can do is it's amazing how much the vaccination numbers have gone up in Victoria at the moment. And obviously a lot of those vaccinations have got to be sourced from other places. The government says that that's not happening, but of course that's the only way that it can happen. Either that or they had a whole bunch of vaccines they didn't tell anyone about, which is a whole other problem. But um, deal with that. But as soon as a vaccine is available to you, regardless of the area you live in and how safe and removed from COVID it is, get your fucking vaccination and that's how we help them. Mm. Everybody else gets to open up. This gets to stop when everybody gets on board to do their part. So shut the fuck up. Don't wish them well. Don't make fun of them. Just get your vaccination so that we can all get back to you know new normal. But are there any vaccines in Australia? Will I feel like we keep getting told by the government that someone's fucked up the delivery, or you know they're just taking it slow? It's not a race for a start. Uh, Someone, <laughs> it is. Well, firstly, it should be. Yeah, I know. it should be a race. That would have been absolutely the best way because suddenly now that there's COVID in a community, you've noticed that people are willing to put on their sneakers and go for a bit of a race. Like people were happy to line up, get that fucking thing done. It was in numbers of getting people vaccinated, it's shown what is possible. Why are we not making it a race? The only possible reason is that the government is fucked up in the supply chain at some point and does not have the vaccines for us to race. But as an imperative for society, I have friends who worked on that festival in Melbourne that got to go for one day that they'd been planning for two years, spent mm. millions of dollars, millions of, you know, their hours, their heart, all these incredible artists doing these incredible things. And because our government has fucked up the rollout of the vaccine, suddenly all their hard work just goes and no one will ever look back and cry for them. Like, you know, people close to them will. But as a society, there's so many other things going on that we just move on. And like you said, you know, these people who get laid off this time or don't get the income support or get by on their savings, but now have to shit themselves for the next 20 years because 
like that money they had saved for their retirement or that money that they had saved for like I'll be I'm fine like I'm absolutely fine and I don't complain in any way I've spent my life like here in a fucking way that is removed from it all but the financial hardship like I'm just running up credit cards borrowing money doing whatever I can to get through imagine you're in a position where you can't do that shit mm. imagine this is the thing that in between like breaking you completely for fucking ever we just have to get we have to do everything that we can do to just like get vaccinated and get back to fucking. The work. thing that kills me is it's the, it's the casual worker thing. Because do you remember right. what it was like when you were starting out in comedy, where you were gigging? Oh, it's like you had man. no money even when you had a job, and now you have no job. And the idea that they're not prioritized anyway. Look, this is not this is not the total no. content. Let's move on to the drone. Not thing. helpful. It's fucking yeah. bullshit. Anyway, okay, this is from Mick. <laughs> Hey, boys, listening to today's episode, I thought I had nutted out Will's way to get Charlie the tapes. Will has 12 hours to get to his hiding place. In the first hour, go to a local news agent, not Australia Post, as they're more likely to have cameras, and stock up on envelopes and stamps. Then, after a month or two of solo casting into his Walkman, Will can simply put tapes in a side... uh, in a side-of-the-road post box, eliminating the need for Charlie to try and decipher clues that will surely lead him to losing money in a business venture. Also, forget the cave and the waterfall. I grew up in an area which we both now live in uh, near the Macadamia Council, and they used to have an... uh, 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 near the Macadamia Castle, assuming it's still there. Will can hide in the armour of the Macadamia Knight, and by the day he can be in Macadamia Fields. If the drone finds him, then at least he has the armor for added protection. Isn't that just a? I thought that was that billboard was like two dimensional. It's not actual. Is it a three dimensional? I've never. To be honest, I drive past it a lot. I've never really taken note. Is it actually a giant suit of armor? Yeah, I believe it is actually. Oh, I think it is. I just thought yeah. it was like a two dimensional. Yeah, okay, that's pretty good. Can't imagine how. Can't imagine how functional it is. It'd surprise me if it has Iron Man like technology inside. It. Yeah, but also it's like three stories tall. I mean, it's not like you can get in and walk around. You can live in it like the Statue of Liberty, but you're not going to wear it as protection unless there's a smaller suit of armor. Still, I don't think that's going to protect you from a drone strike. Like a giant macadamia knight Russian doll. You think there's like a series of smaller giant knights inside it? But it is making me think, you know, on this uh, part of the coast, there are a lot of giant things, giant banana, giant prawns. Maybe that's where you hide out. Like hide out. The giant prawn in Ballina. Yeah, or the giant banana So they were trying to sell it. Not Yeah, Coffs is too far to get to, but I reckon I could get to Ballina. Right. That prawn's um, huge, and it must have yeah. some kind of inner workings, right? I don't know. Would they build an inside to it? Well, I mean, just an empty. You'd, you'd imagine it's empty. It'd be amazing feat of giant building if you also <laughs> recreated the insides of a prawn. It's actually terrifying for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's not like a cute Disney prawn. It is like a lifelike giant prawn. I mean, Iona has cried when she's seen it. We've driven past that thing, and it looks like a giant alien. A monster. A monster. It looks like a kaiju. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, okay, so let's go back to his uh, approach to I getting- I can't eat macadamias, though, because they, uh, I, I get cold sores, and uh, nuts trigger cold sores. So okay. I don't want to be living some- Like, even though I'm in isolation and no one's seen me, like, I don't want to, like- like all feel run down i feel like this is a good opportunity to get in shape i want to be eating avocados in the hills okay so he's basically saying you just get letters and envelopes and stamp so stamps and envelopes and then after a month or two just put them in the post box but surely the drone 
I mean, if, if, if for some reason the drone picked, well, they're going to know once I start releasing the episode. So they're going to trace it. They'll be able to trace it back to it was collected from this post box. It's too close, I reckon. They just they could just napalm the entire area. No, I reckon in a night I could get <laughs> on if foot. I, you know what? Oh no, you got yeah, your get- car. You got your Kingswood. No, I haven't. I've had take. I've taken that back to the house because I can't park the car nearby. They'll find that. Right. So I think that. Oh, you know what? I though I could go back to the house, get in the car, get the keys to the car. Oh no, they're going to have cameras on the house. They would totally um, be watching the house. Okay, so what if I just identify one place as being my? So like, if I went to, I reckon I could get to like Mullumbimby. Right. Mullumbimby, not a lot of cameras. Like, you know, that this is when the whole anti-government, anti-vaccine, yeah. I don't want to be QR-coded stuff actually works in my favour, right? Because they're just not, like, as paranoid about checking things and knowing where people are. So I go, there's a place there that I can buy the stamps and the, and the envelopes. There's a post office there where I could post something. Um, yeah, I, the post office would have cameras, though, and the cameras are probably... But you know what? If I if I told them, if I, I reckon if I, you just go, this is my black zone. In a way, you've, it's almost better because if I went, you know, twenty kilometers in the opposite direction, then that gives you a midpoint where it's most likely I am. I just give them one point where they know it's somewhere in connection to that, but I give them no other detail, which still keeps it pretty vague. I guess. I mean, I guess it depends just on how ruthless the people behind the drone are in terms of, would they be willing to have civilian casualties? Like, would they be willing to destroy, you know? I mean, they're willing to have this civilian casualty. Yeah, but you <laughs> pissed them off. You deserve it. Well, I don't know what you've done. We haven't established the motive, but I'm pretty sure it was bad. <laughs> I mean, years of bad-mouthing them. Yeah. Years of warning against them. I guess that's what it is, right? When they start running algorithms of what everybody has said, like I would be like on terrorist hotlines where they're looking for keywords. It's not like they're listening to every conversation. They're going through and they're flagging problematic words and then they go back. And so they start running their algorithms over our podcast and they realize how many times I've bad badmouthed the, the rise of technology and I become like on their we're going to eliminate these people first list. No, I was listening to um, something the other day and they were talking about the music industry now and how like uh, it took a long time for the charts to sort of accommodate streaming and now like streaming is obviously the number one way people get their music. But they are talking about from a production point of view and the kind of acts that get signed and the kind of songs that sort of get written and produced, a lot of them are designed along algorithm guidelines. So... The idea that you'll put on Spotify and you'll say, hey, uh, chill out indie playlist, you know. So producers now will go, what songs are the most downloaded on the indie chill playlist? Let's write something that has not, you know, it doesn't, not a ripoff, but it's a facsimile of that so that when someone plays like a Billie Eilish and then they just leave it on, the algorithm will pick up our song and they'll play that and that'll become the next kind of earworm. Yeah, and my favourite type of music is algorithm and blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got there. All <laughs> uh, right, okay, this is from, ooh, Mysterious. Just gives a, a letter as his name and it's not Q. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's I Good. or she, could be she, could be I, Reen. It's not though, It's well, maybe it is. What names begin with I? Ignatius, Irene, India, Irvine. Irvine? <laughs> Is that what you name? went with? Irving? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's Irving. I mean, anything could be a name. 
<laughs> Isaac says podcast Mike. Igor. Um, that's it. That's all the names beginning with I. I'm pretty sure we checked them all off. Okay. Uh, hi, Charlie. All we'll have to do is to get it into the postal system. The postage is stamped via its local mm. hub. Pay a tourist to take the package into the next town. Okay, yeah, but how does he get it into the hands of a tourist? You're sort of missing an important step there. You know what? There is a lot of people who sort of camp out in this area. You know, they're, they're tourists. They have a van. They're yep. backpacking around the country. They find somewhere up in the hills to park their van. I mean, maybe there's a possibility I could just leave it in somebody's van and I could leave them money to not post it until they were a really long way away. So I could be like, hey, I can't really explain to you why, but like, you know, I've got to trust you with this. Here's some money. Um, you know, when you're as far away as possible as you're getting from here, could you please drop this in a, in a post box? Okay. Uh, put yourself in their shoes now. Mm. So for yeah. your camping – some crazy guy comes running out of the woods. He looks like he hasn't washed or slept properly in weeks. He comes running up to you with a package. He's like, hey, hey, hey. And he's not threatening, but he's like, look, I just need you to post this for me when you get as far away from here as possible. Here's $50. I can't tell you anymore. I'm really sorry. And then runs back into the woods. Are you like, all right, the 50 bucks, I'll do it. Or you think this guy's definitely a drug dealer. I'm going to get arrested. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm planting it in their van. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm putting it in someone's bag. I'm putting it under a seat. Like they're going to find it later anyway. Hopefully when they're far, far away from where I am, they'll actually find it and then it'll be easier for them to facilitate my wishes. And I'll leave them some like, you know, an avocado, like some fresh, <laughs> some like, you know, some nice some stuff gifts. that I've collected, some macadamias. Some Blair Witch style stick figures you've cut, you've <laughs> woven together with human hair and sticks. It's just the Yeah, I've made terrifying. you and Foz and Podcast Mike out of like matchsticks. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if I would do it. I wonder how generous I would be if a complete stranger asked me for a favor, but I couldn't ask any questions. I would, I guess what I would do is I would open the package just to see what I was yeah. dealing with. I'd say it's a cassette tape and I'd be like, well, fuck, like how much trouble can this get me into? Sure. Well, that's what I would say. I would actually explain kind of not everything about what it is that I was doing, but I would explain in my like little letter to them that it would just like, it's important, you know. Would you lie? Life. Say it's like I would just, going to your mother or something like that to motivate them? I say they, no, because they might listen to the tapes. I mean, where would they find a tape player? That is your mother could be called like, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Charlie does sound like a code. If I say Charlie too much yeah, yeah, or right. try to explain what the podcast is, I'm like, anyway, I, like I'm on the run from the AI robots, but I uh, do this podcast. What's a podcast? Oh, it's like an internet radio show that no one can sack you from. What's yours about? Uh, it's a comedy conversation between... <laughs> <laughs> two old mates and despite the fact that I'm running from AI robots I'd like to continue that conversation as one-sided as it might be so here's some cassette tapes could you drive them as far away from here as possible to throw the AI robots off the scent the end yeah okay I reckon I'll, I'll, I'd be okay with that I'm just trying to think of you'd, like any time I think you'd do it right you'd do it yeah I remember I think I've told this story before but there was one time when I was like 19 years old when my mother was away I was in the house on my own and it was an apartment and it was like two in the morning and there's a knock on the door and it was a guy uh, and his girlfriend. And he was like, Hey man, like um, we were just in the car park. Um, our car's broken down. Um, I can't, oh, this is like, you know, 1996. He didn't have a mobile phone. He needed to use my phone to call like roadside assistance or something like that. Can I please use your phone? 
And I was like, yeah, sure, okay. And so I let him come in, use the phone, and then he left. And about half an hour later, I hear a knock on the door again. I'm like, fuck, like, I've just let this dude into my house. He's had a chance to have a look around, see what he can case. Now he's come back with a bunch more dudes. I go, it's the guy again with the girlfriend. You know, roadside assistance hasn't turned up. She's been getting cold. Could they just wait in our house until they see the car come? So I'm like, all right. So I let this guy into the house. And so, you know, get his girlfriend a jacket make them something warm to drink and we're talking and he's sort of thanking me for, you know, being so kind. And I was like, I said to him, how did you like of all the houses to come to, like, why did you, this is one apartment of, you know, four, like why this one? And he was like, oh, cause you had a light on, which I definitely didn't. All the lights are out. Um, so I started getting worried, but then he's gone. Um, look, I really want to thank you. He's gone. Do you do smack? And I was like, no, why? And he's like, oh, because you know, I've got some really great, you know, whatever the code name for it is, like tie stick or whatever the fuck it was called. And I was like, no. And he's like, oh, well, if you ever need a hookup, you know, please, you know, I'd love to give you like some kind of, like, I'd love to ruin your life. <laughs> I'd love to give you a anyway, crippling drug addiction. Is there any way I could repay this favor you've done me by ruining your life? Please give us a call. It would barely an inconvenience. But I was very accommodating to him, and that was like a terrible situation to be in. Uh, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, you've made a terrible, terrible decision. Invited, well, it, it's turned out fine. Turned out fine, and his his girlfriend uh, was kept warm, and they, they they took off to deal heroin to more people and cause much misery in Melbourne. Okay, uh, this is from Adrian. Hey, I've got a possible solution for Will delivering the cassette. First, Will has to label the cassette so that Charlie knows it's from him. Then Will finds the nearest incredibly small town while wearing a disguise that works well for him. It's got to be comfy. He then consults a group of menacing teenagers and makes a shady deal for, the go, for them to go and mess with Charlie's bins and hide the cassette in the bin on his behalf. Thanks, Adrian. Note, it should say everyone relax on the cassette on top, and on top of the bin. All right, that's, that's, that's a good clue because that will only mean okay. something to me. What do you reckon of that? I, I don't mind it. In fact, it's this is the other story I was Googling. We'll have a little side yep. um, journey and we'll come back. Uh, inside the petty neighbourhood war over bins. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw this article. It's rare that I will go to the Daily Mail as my number one source, but I just feel like for exploring what happened here, mm. the Daily Mail is going to you know paint us the most colourful picture. Residents of a retirement estate are locked in a bitter feud over the placement of wheelie bins on rubbish collection night. Judy Bond, who lives on a quiet cul-de-sac at Stockland Retirement Village in Campbelltown, southwest of Sydney, opened up about the dispute plaguing her street. <laughs> she explained that she has lived happily on the street for eight years, but things started going awry when her botanic neighbour, George, started moving her green bins from where she put them on the nature strip to her driveway. Mm. That now, where do you stand first and foremost before we delve into this on the proper placement of the bins? Well, what do you mean? Like, uh, well, should they be on the nature strip? Should they be on the road? Should they be oh, on I, the driveway in front of I your believe... house? Like, I mean, I know yours are kind of in like, but in your new situation, yeah. where, where would they you go put on them? the nature strips? Because the the truck needs access, and it can't be on the road. And it's got to be clear, like don't put it behind a lamppost or behind a parked car, like out in the open on the nature strip. Well, what I love about uh, Judy is that she's immediately gone to the worst case scenario. So 
George has suggested she put them on the driveway. And Judy says that's a concern because that blocks the driveway. Judy insists that her bins were only ever outside briefly, and she was regularly one of the first to bring them in after the collection, even helping others with theirs. Judy's oh. a bloody hero. That's what Judy is. Yeah. Judy said the village managers water and mow the verge so residents don't need to, but George had a different story. So hang on, can you just, what is George's issue that leaving it on the nature strip is the wrong place to leave it? Yeah. George doesn't doesn't agree. I think George claims water and fertilize the grass out the front of both his and Judy's home, and doesn't want garbage bins sitting on the fruits of his labor. Okay, so George is precious he's about decided his that, grass. Yeah, the nature strip. He's growing grass on his nature strip, and he's like very precious about it. Okay, according to George, the bin is supposed to be in the gutter in front of the driveway before okay. it's collected. By the garbage truck. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, the only reason I put mine out on the nature strip is when I got this, when we bought the house from the owners, they said, don't put the bins out the front of the driveway because there's two drains either side of the driveway right. and sometimes the truck drives over it and it cracks. So I just get it clear away from the house. But if that wasn't an issue, then I think George has, has got a point, you know, especially you gotta, you've got to make some concessions with your neighbours, Will. If George loves his lawn and clears up Doris's what's her name Dorothy's Doris Judy Judy's <laughs> disrespect you hate her you like you're just like you're an idiot Judy shut up Judy that's what I'm hearing uh yeah I reckon I reckon he's got a he's got a point okay well um uh George said the point is the lady parks the bins here you know, he's like you George the lady I don't remember her name the lady Doris or whatever her name is oh mate Doris um and then they've got, they've got a picture of him from the current affairs story pointing at the bin on the grass. Look, here's what I would say about George's job on the grass. It's not like the bit the bin is on is the worst bit of the grass. Right. There are other areas of the grass that George should be concentrating on if he's really worried about the quality of this grass. Okay, so it's not like a putting green or anything like that. It's not this beautiful, no. pristine, manicured lawn. It's just a nature strip. No, I believe if you want to extend the golfing um, analogy, you'd find your ball in the rough if you're looking at this you know, piece of lawn. It's not a particularly attractive piece of lawn in any way. Again, George, I'm not... If you're a regular listener, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to run down your life work here. But, uh, okay, so... They're, they're mad because they're moving each other's bins, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, look, um, here we go. Hundreds of viewers reacted to the story saying they'd experienced similar situations over bins with their neighbours. I have neighbours who are going berserk because I have my bins beside my gate on what they maintain is common ground, one wrote on Facebook. Wow. <laughs> Uh, they are inundating the landlords and agents with emails and my agent is responding by telling me telling me to get them off his back I blame the <laughs> pandemic for their behaviour and pray for the day they can resume cruising and get off my back <laughs> everyone just needs to get off each other's backs that's what we need we need a bloody global get off each other's backs day that's what we need to celebrate everyone just chill we should call it Keanu day everyone just chill and get off each other's backs Anyway, bin wars, dividing neighbourhoods. Okay, so are we at the final? The final um, one. This is the uh, lengthy one. This is from David. This will probably take us to the end of the show. All right, this is from David. 
to Colin Fop. I'm just partway through EP340 and I'm really enjoying, really enjoying the discussion of Will in, in his survivalist role. Driven to long hair and a patchy beard as he evades the lethal attention of an AI hunter killer, Charlie brought up an article dealing with the first time a drone has targeted a human without direct oversight. I'm really enjoying it so far. Let me say I am well aware of the balance of entertainment and serious discussion over autonomous weapons systems, but... I love a but. I'm kind of a nerd about this sort of thing, particularly about naval history. Autonomous weaponry is actually, it's a very old concept. The term really applies to any system deployed in combat, either in the tactical or strategic theatre, which does not require oversight to complete its mission. The concept can go all the way back to the ancient times and the use of fire ships. On a number of occasions, ships would be loaded with combustibles, lit up and cut loose in the general direction of an enemy fleet or a shore installation. All right, the original drone. Just set a ship on fire and push it towards your enemies. If we'd stopped there, I'd be happy for the theatre of it. And I think it still gives your opposition a sporting chance. Yeah. With modern day technology, if the only way you could attack like a drone is a fire ship, set a ship on fire and like send it towards your enemies, but your enemies aren't from that era, they're equipped with modern-day firefighting techniques and stuff. I think that's just a bit of fun. I mean, it's kind of a – it's almost a charming way to launch an attack, isn't it? Like, it's coming to get us very slowly, <laughs> very easy to, easy to see from a distance. I mean, finally, all our experience as a country <laughs> stopping the boats would come in handy. This was, of course, unguided, but it shows the concept. The modern sense of autonomous weapons started to really get going following the First World War. During the interwar years, the first cruise missiles, biplanes, and, and a warhead and a carefully measured amount of fuel were experimented with for remotely attacking cities without exposing a pilot to risk. Using a simple gyro, I'm assuming that's uh, that's a that's like a plane and not like a souvlaki. <laughs> Using a simple, <laughs> yeah, a simple souvlaki, lamb, chicken, garlic, garlic sauce, lettuce, tomato. Using garlic. a simple gyro <laughs> that could fly a steady course until the fuel. Yeah. I'd be very happy if they were <laughs> dropping gyros on people. <laughs> if, like, it was a souvlaki based. Like, let's just kill them. You know what? It's the perfect yeah. thing in a war zone, right? Because, like, yes, you're killing a few, isn't but you're a, also feeding a few. Isn't that a Dave like, Chappelle that's the great news. bit where he talks about, like, the insanity of dropping food in war zones? It's like people running out with their mouths open, not sure if they're going to swallow a bomb or a sandwich. Well, let's bring that back. Let's Dave Chappelle it. Um, okay, so they would just send these uh, gyros. <laughs> If Joe Rogan is influencing the way that people think about politics, Dave Chappelle is fine too. I'm fine with the idea that we're just like, you know what? Like, it'd be great if Joe Biden was like, Obama sent me like this, like Dave Chappelle special, and he just made a really good point dropping about food on dropping food on people. So from now on, that's what we're going to do. It's a lottery. Some are going to win, some are going to lose. But, you know. Um the concept would be could be seen maturing in the V-1 cruise missiles and later the V-2 ballistic missiles in World War II. The Second World War also saw the debut of autonomously homing weapons uh, with the first acoustic torpedoes. Oh, torpedoes unplugged. Yeah, just get out the guitar, sing torpedo songs. <laughs> they could be fired with... In, with a quick solution relying on homing systems that listened for the telltale signs of ship propellers. Germany also deployed more than one type of remotely controlled glide bomb for use against Allied shipping. A lot of these early 
autonomous weapons seem to rely on you being on water. Like, I think the secret was like, just don't go on the water. You'll be fine. No one can push a flaming ship towards you. No detecting your propellers. Guys, it's what we call the Aquaman principle. <laughs> as long as you stay away from water. Can't touch you. The famous battleship HMS, HMS Warspite, you know Warspite, you got a poster of it on the wall, but right behind you. You know what I love about uh, Warspite is this is the good early days of naming shit. You still had all the cool names <laughs> that you could use. People, like they, they were willing to waste war and spite on one thing. They're just like, what's good? War? What's like, wh- why do we go to war? Spite? Yeah. We're going to call it Warspite. War <laughs> it's like the most awesome of all time. Warspite. Well, it sounds like a great metal band. Warspite. Warspite has the distinction. And on acoustic guitar, a torpedo. Ian Thorpe on guitar. The famous battleship HMS Warspite had the distinction of being the first warship to be hit by the radio guided hit by the radio guided weapon off the coast of Normandy. Again, this weapon was not autonomous. A crewman controlled the glide from an overlying bomber, but it was part of the concept. By the 1960s, the Soviet Navy had deployed a nuclear attack submarine carrying a battery of anti-ship missiles, which fulfilled the ideal of an autonomous attack. They were designed to be launched as six, a six-weapon barrage and could engage well beyond the visual range. The pack of missiles was self-reliant with a scout missile flying above the rest of the formation using its acquisition and designation radar to find and identify the enemy fleet. It would have shared this information with the missiles flying below on the horizon. It took the risk while the rest stayed low to avoid interception. The system was flexible though. If the spotter was taken out, another missile would pop up to maintain targeting. Fuck, we're good at just being horrible. We're just so good at killing each other. That's the one thing we excel at more than anything, isn't it? I mean, imagine if we spent the time and energy we spend in killing each other doing something that actually grew us as a human species. Well, how, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brainwave. What about saving each other? What about rescuing each other? Lifting each other, each other out of poverty? I mean, it does seem like if we just took some of this money that we're using to kill each other to actually help each other, we wouldn't need to kill each other. Alongside these decades of autonomous <laughs> weaponry, development of the humble mine has just carried on as well. On land and on sea since the 1800s, ships and soldiers have had to worry about unattended lethal attack systems. Long-ass ramble aside, the term drone has specific connotations and is used to appeal to people's discomfort with the accelerated growth in the capability of algorithms. It's an important point to remember that the real fear represented in The Terminator and the other stories like it is that machines develop a malice towards us. It's, important, it's an important point to remember that the real fear represented in The Terminator and other stories like it is that machines develop a malice towards us. The drone that may have targeted that soldier was not told to get him specifically. It was simply deployed to an operational area with a complex set of engagement parameters. It carried out no more or no less malice towards the victim of its attack than a fire ship crashing into a galleon of panicked Athenian sailors 3,000 years ago or a landmine buried in a road in Iraq 20 years ago. It's a weapon system with a set of circumstantial triggering conditions. It's just more refined. This ramble is obviously not intended for the show. But I found the topic interesting. I'm sorry, Dave, we did use it well, on the show. No, here's what I will say about that, which is I get what he is saying. Yeah. But what he is saying is actually the thing that I fear the most because while I joke about it being the robots that are going to kill us, 
what I actually mean by that is that we're going to kill us using robots. Like, I don't think that the robots or the technology have any inherent malice towards us. I think that human beings, like, that was a very good example of how we've been looking for ways to kill each other for a whole time. And, you know, we were talking about the algorithms on, you know, of songs. Well, it's going to be very similar with this, isn't it? We're going to yeah. program things to go, we're looking for this type of person. And then, well, if you're looking for this type of person, then this person is someone who's connected to this type of person and the algorithm will do it. When we talk about the algorithm, we talk about it like it's this magical thing, but it's just like what humans programmed the machine to do. And yeah. the idea that human beings won't use this stuff to like, hurt each other and kill each other is just something that isn't supported by history. Well, I think in general, it's not good to make it easier to kill each other. Like you don't want to make it, you know, we convenient. We already want to kill easy. each other so much all the fucking time. <laughs> like essentially what we've done in our society is making it heaps easier to kill each other and also kill each other without seeing the person that you're killing. So yeah. not even have to deal with the consequences of just like Desensitized. Just killing some, desensitize ourselves to killing but also ramped up every other aspect of our society that makes us feel like we have to kill each other. Great yeah. conditions. <laughs> well, you know what won't kill you, Will? Listening to some more great podcasts at tofop.com. <laughs> great segue. <laughs> Who's on philosophy this week? Karen O'Leary from a very funny show called Wellington Paranormal, which is a spin-off of the What We Do in the Shadows franchise. Um, One of your favourite shows. Two top characters from that uh, movie have their own spin-off TV show, uh, it's like a comedy sort of X-Files, I guess, is probably the easiest way to describe it, but it's so much more than that. And it's super charming. And Karen O'Leary, who is one of the leads in that, who wasn't an actor before she oh, really? auditioned for the film, so has had her life completely changed by that. And she's super charming, really funny, um, just really enjoyed that interview. So I would say check that out on Fofop this week. Justin Hamilton, Hamo will be back for another Hamo Fop and... Uh, great episode with you and Monty Diamond from last week, uh, Katie Monty Diamond. I thought that was a really excellent uh, faux fop episode as well. People should check that out. And they can also check out Two Guys, One Cup, which is our AFL-adjacent podcast, which has been so uh, uh, like successful this year. Like the, the listener numbers keep going up and up and up. Like It almost was uh, – I, I got the, the data. It was almost the most popular episode of any show we did last week. And I'm like, Really? That show where we don't know anything, where we get the names of players and coaches wrong on a regular basis? It's as surprising to us as it is to anybody. <laughs> like, I don't... Once we stop watching football, caring about football, or talking about any... Like, feeling any need to cover off the big issues or all the games or those sort of things, it really seems to have attracted people to the show. And if you want to uh, support us, the best way to do that is at patreon.com slash TOEFOP. Plenty of bonus content up there. We may even record a little bonus uh, this week. Uh, haven't talked to Will about it. We'll do that off air. And also, um, I've been uploading full episodes of TOEFOP to YouTube. So the last three episodes of TOEFOP on YouTube. So if you know someone who you think you might like TOEFOP, but maybe they're hearing impaired, they've got the closed captions there so they can read an episode of TOEFOP. I've done my best to vet the captions. There's a little, there's a few things that, the, the algorithm gets wrong, they don't quite interpret properly, but most of it is pretty good. So full episodes of TOEFOP uh, are now up on YouTube at TOEFOP TV. But for now... Oh, uh, oh no, can I quickly just say, I've got some shows on oh, yeah, sale. So um, uh, Wagga no, Wagga this weekend. Go. See you later. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> 
if you're near Wagga Wagga this weekend and you want to come and see me do that show in Wagga Wagga, I think that's going to be something uh, pretty amazing. So come along to those shows. But also, I've got um, I'm doing Corumban, uh, which is on the Gold Coast. I'm doing Will Eagle there. But a big announcement, a new show announcement. Uh, in Sydney and in Brisbane. I don't think Brisbane's on sale yet, but in Sydney and Brisbane, uh, July the 3rd and July the 4th, I'm going to do my improvised show, What You Talking About, Will. On the 4th, which is a Sunday, I'll do it at the Brisbane Powerhouse. And then on the Saturday night, uh, July the 3rd, in Sydney, um, I will be doing my completely improvised stand-up show, What You Talking About, Will, at the Enmore Theatre. So... If people want to come out and see me, hopefully we can pack the joint out. And I mean, what an amazing experience that like be able to just make up a show on the spot for an audience who will be the only people who get to see it. I am really looking forward to it. I'm a little bit terrified about it, but I would love people to come out and see that. So that is now on sale also. Definitely buy a ticket to see Will at the Inmore. And you might see a special surprise guest when I turn up. No, that's absolutely not true. I will not turn up. I never leave. Ladies and gentlemen. You guys have been having too much fun, and so I'd like to introduce. He's a real bummer. He's a guy who's going to complain about his bins for the next 15 minutes. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. 